listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm a brand and marketing strategist. And this podcast is all about private business in America. Today, I'm sitting with Patrick Tobin. He's the president of a company called Handtech, located in Honeyoy Falls, New York. Patrick, welcome to The Currency. Thanks, Mike. Excited to talk to you today, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, well, thanks for joining me. So you're hosting today, even though I'm hosting the podcast, we're at your facilities here. Um, really lovely. It was a nice drive down. We've gotten a little snow here in upstate New York, so the drive down was kind of pretty. But uh, tell us a little bit about where you're situated, the town of Honeyway Falls, as for our national listeners. Sure, sure. Uh, very excited about it. Uh, we just moved to Honeyway Falls about six months ago. Okay. We had been in Victor for 22 years prior to that. Um, and we had outgrown our space. So we moved from about 20,000 square feet into 90,000 square feet um, and have had a great experience so far with the town of Honeyoy Falls, uh, the mayor, the school superintendent. It's fantastic, uh, yeah. You know, the whole, whole community has been very welcoming. Uh, looking forward to hopefully next year uh, having a grand opening for the town to invite some people in and, and show them a little bit. Uh, for those who don't know, our facility used to be a General Motors uh, hydrogen fuel cell research yeah. facility, yeah. Um, and they employed roughly 500 people here in Honeyoy Falls. So uh, they left Honeyoy Falls seven years ago and had left the space uh, vacant, uh, which had a dramatic impact on the retail business here in Honeyoy Falls. While we can't replace 500 people, it's been nice to uh, hopefully have a positive impact on sure. the community, and I think it's been... Uh, a great reciprocating environment so far and a beautiful town. So really, really enjoy it. Yeah, fantastic. For, for those uh, not familiar with the map, Honeywood Falls is uh, probably about half an hour outside of the city of Rochester and just a lovely historic village. Uh, you couldn't ask for a more picturesque. So that's, that's the move and that's where you are right now. But I think more importantly, what is Handtech? What do you guys do and who do you do it for? Absolutely. So Handtech is a materials handling and systems automation company. Uh, that sounds complex, but to put it in a nutshell, uh, we handle anything that comes from uh, raw materials in to finished goods out inside a manufacturing or distribution facility. Um, so whether it's a robotic work cell or a complete uh, turnkey um, manufacturing uh, reinvention, uh, say raw materials into an automated storage and retrieval system to some automatically guided vehicles, distributing uh, the material into work in process through to uh, automated storage and retrieval, and then finally out to queuing for distribution. Uh, we will handle all of the hardware, software, mechanical, electrical, and software design on that system. Uh, so you know, whether it's a soup to nuts or whether it's a small component that would go into a system like that, we'll handle whatever material movement our customers are looking for. Okay. So um, when I hear that, I just... I mean, where my mind goes, and I know this is probably not correct, I think of like conveyor belts. And obviously, this is a lot more sophisticated. Before we kind of get into those details, give me an example of the types of companies that would be, you know, using your services and installing the technology that you guys work with. Absolutely. So, uh, historically, our key verticals are automotive, uh, aerospace, heavy metals, uh, steel, aluminum, specialty alloys. Um, 
food and beverage, and then what we would call general manufacturing. Okay. Uh, one that we're doing right here in town, I'm very proud of, uh, is work we're doing with American Packaging, uh, APC. Great company, great family. Uh, really looking forward to uh, this job and continuing to work with them and all their facilities. Uh, but we will be handling uh, all of their material movements inside their brand new 400,000 square foot manufacturing facility here in Chi Lai, New York. Um, coming in from raw material, setting it into an automated storage and retrieval system, further moving it throughout their system with automatically guided vehicles, uh, AGVs, um, okay. and then we will handle the movement of that pro- of that product uh, throughout work and process uh, with, and then eventually take it out of the last uh, the last material uh, processing mm-hmm. through to distribution uh, and finished goods out. Wow. Uh, so we're handling their warehouse control system, their WCS, uh, and the software that runs all of that uh, and interfaces with their ERP. Uh, we're also handling all of the hardware installation and all of the integration with their existing production. Uh, so that's been a very exciting project. Uh, another example would be uh, some work we're doing with Borg Warner right now. Uh, so another local project, which I'm very Happy to say that we've got a couple of local projects uh, for quite some time. We were doing more work in uh, you know, other parts of the country than we were in, in New York, and we've been able to increase our base. So uh, very happy about that. But uh, you know, we're, we're doing some cobots, collaborative robots for uh, Borg Warner. Um, and essentially what we're doing there is uh, taking care of repetitive movements into and out of machining equipment, mm-hmm. allowing them to redistribute their staff to uh, areas where they need more assistance. So uh, when a product is being handled in the same fashion, the same movements, and moving repetitively, uh, those are applications where it's typically very easy to replace that uh, movement with a robotic cell and uh, increased throughput. Uh, American Axle had similar situation. American Packaging had similar uh, situations in their environment, where um, they were recruiting 24/7, 365, and couldn't manage to get all the people in house that they needed in order to accommodate their production throughput needs and their sales, uh, their sales efforts. So we were able to help them with automation in order to accommodate their production needs. Nice. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know what it is about uh, Rochester. I don't know if we are our hub for this, but um, when I used to own an agency, I worked, and we talked about this before our interview on a call a while back, but I used to work with a company called Retrotech. Yes. And Retrotech, I, I don't even know if they're still in business, quite honestly. Well, it's embarrassing. I should know that. But um, they did automation, but I always, always think of automation for them as more distribution. So I've got a facility with boxes. I've got a load of UPS truck, and that that distribution piece, the pick, pack, ship is all automated. You're talking about a whole other level, it sounds like. I mean, do you get into that the, the that end of it where you're packing and shipping? Because as I'm hearing, raw materials in all the way through the whole uh, production experience. We, we do. As a matter of fact, to provide you with a little background on hand tech, we actually came from the same family of companies as Retrotech. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dave Ray, who uh, was the founder of Gorbel. Yep. Uh, and the Invictor, Ray, right? Invictor, Invictor, yep. yes, yeah, uh, was the uh, founder of the Raytech Group. The Raytech Group 
was Handtech, Retrotech, and Gorbel. Ah. Uh, so we're we're very familiar with Retrotech um, and all of uh, all of the things that they were able to do. In fact, uh, through the years, there were conversations about combining the two companies because we always did more of the manufacturing uh, automation and they did more of the distribution automation. Uh, we have since added that to our portfolio um, and we have uh, started doing all the warehouse control systems. Uh, we've done the distribution automation, the automated storage and retrieval, um, and rolled that into our operation. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a natural fit. And, um, you know, with all of the interest in combining uh, the two organizations before, uh, we decided that it would be time for us to, to wrap it into one organization. Let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about the history. You're the president of the company. Your father, John Tobin, is the chairman. I'm assuming he's the founder uh, as these companies kind of split apart. Is that accurate to say? Of the modern uh, iteration yeah. of Hantech, yes. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about that a little yeah. bit. Like what, if you can, like how, how did Hantech become its own entity and, and take us kind of up to present time? Yeah, so a little bit of the history. We were form, we were formed in 1961 uh, by Dave and, and his group, uh, and at that time, Dave saw Handtech essentially as an installation and sales arm for Gorbel, and eventually grew it into a little bit more of a catch-all group that did installations and materials handling equipment. And okay. then we developed into a bit of a materials handling uh, company under the old ProStall name. Um, which you know, I would consider traditional materials handling, if you're familiar with a stick conveyor, packet choice, right, cart okay. systems, um, floor mats, you know, those sort of things. Um, and then when my father came on board in 1990, he came in as the president of Handtech and uh, had morphed things a little bit more towards automation as he saw the environment in New York State starting to shift and change a little bit in manufacturing starting to be on a little bit of a decline. Um, you know, we wanted to be able to provide uh, equipment that had more of a value add. Mm. Uh, materials handling equipment is a very good business, but it doesn't travel well, and it stays very local. And it is local is it more economy. commoditized? Like, I just find distributors in my area, they install for me, and it is. or rep agencies? It is. Okay. It is. Um, and, you know, with the number of organizations that were providing that service staying roughly the same, and the number of organizations that were our base of customers shrinking, um, you know, we wanted to find other things that we could do. I think do that's that, called a red ocean these yeah, days. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so basically, we had moved into manufacturing automation. We do still keep our roots in materials handling, though. We do, do still provide all of those services, uh, overhead crane hoist inspections, uh, facility maintenance okay. uh, for organizations, uh, preventative maintenance support of uh, any sort of material handling movement equipment inside a manufacturing or distribution facility. Uh, we'll take on all those responsibilities for, uh, for our customers. But uh, sorry for that sidebar. Uh, going back to your original yeah, question. That's good. Um, yeah, so essentially we moved into the automation space at that point. Um, and in 1996, uh, Dave and my father parted ways as Dave was really looking to build Gore Bell as an organization mm -hmm. and uh, wasn't really interested in having this uh, autonomous unit for uh, manufacturing production that didn't align with the core 
uh, business of, of Gorebell. Sure. Uh, we're still very close with Gorebell. We distribute their products. Great company. Uh, Brian Ray, who took over for yeah, his father. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Um, and, you know, we're happy to have that relationship, but we have reached outside of it. Um, and then really the next iteration uh, was when myself and my vice president of sales, James Van Thoff, got together and really started moving into um, the software automation uh, okay. warehouse control systems and kind of completing, completing that loop. That's something. You know, what I love about the story that you're sharing is um, people think of uh, these things like, oh, well, we were one company, then it split. And they just immediately assume something bad, like, oh, well, what happened, you know? That's the amazing thing about business. I mean, so Gorbel's growing. It brings your dad on. He's helping to grow this division of the company, the company gets to a certain size and says, hey, uh, now I'm just assuming some of these things. You know, the the day-to-day details and discussions obviously are different, but let's focus on our core business. Well, what do we do with this division that John's grown for us? Right. And there's an, it's actually an opportunity for everybody. It allows Gorbel to free up and focus their resources and allows your dad to take this thing that he's invested his time in growing and to say, I'll own this and I'll, and I'll grow this bigger. And at the end of the day, you have two really healthy companies versus one struggling to figure out its way. Absolutely, absolutely. It was a mutually beneficial um, situation, and I think uh, everybody was happy with the sure. way that it ended up. Um, yeah, certainly happy that we're still working with Gorbel. Um, and, yeah, their success has grown not just in this country but over to China with, I believe, two manufacturing facilities. Yeah, they're really now. impressive. Yeah. They really are. So tell me a little bit about the size of the business. How many folks work here? And also how far geographically are you distributed as far as projects? You mentioned you're just starting to get some New York projects, which as a New Yorker, I'll say, well, that's a good sign for us. It means that people need help. And that's always good. That means the economy's doing something. But um, how many folks work here and how far distributed are you guys? Yeah, so we're about 80 people right now. Okay. Um, and we are through North America. Uh, we've got some good projects going on in Canada right now. We've got some projects uh, in Mexico. Uh, okay. But we do focus on the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, our effort isn't to uh, grow to be an international company per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, when an opportunity presents itself or when a customer asks us to go to their facilities, which may be in a different geography, uh, we'll happily oblige that. Uh, but we're not setting up our sales efforts or uh, strategy around okay. um, international growth right now. That's amazing. I would have just assumed, uh, you know, you drive into a sleepy little village, you know, beautiful facility, but, you know, like a small business in the sense that this isn't a thousand employees with a parking lot, you know, uh, uh, bursting at the seams. I would have just assumed, well, you probably hit the tri-state area. You know, you're in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, that kind of thing. You're all over the country and even uh, Mexico and Canada. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it wasn't very long ago. We were doing more work in Mexico than we were in uh, New York in the Northeast. Um, you know, we're still, it's still a minority share of our business. Uh, a lot in the Southwest, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, yeah. Georgia, uh, Central, uh, Tennessee, um, yeah, Indiana, Ohio, wow. uh, Kentucky, uh, Texas, uh, and then some out in the West Coast. Uh, but it's been nice to see New York come back a little bit yeah. and be able to do some business. And there's also, you know, from my standpoint, 
to, I want to do business in New York State. I want to be yet strong and a participant in the New York economy. So we're increasing our efforts on our service uh, side of the business and uh, the cobots and, and overhead crane and hoist, uh, where we know we can play locally with uh, some of the small mom and pop shops as well as some of the larger manufacturers who are still around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, with that service offering of, um, you know, if, if you're maybe not large enough to want to have an in house maintenance team, uh, we can take over all of that maintenance for you. Wow. Of, of the automation equipment, you're saying? Yes. Not just facility maintenance, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I want to circle back to this idea about wanting to focus on New York and see New York grow. Uh, but but uh, before we do that, I'm just curious, how do you sell? Are you selling direct, meaning you've got a team of folks that are out there developing business? Do you just have a reputation, people knocking on your door saying, we have to have hand tech? Are you selling through reps? What's your What's your... Uh, way to market? So, you know, certainly we try to build on the relationships that we have uh, and any kind of word of mouth, as you well know in the industry you come from, yeah. is, is the best thing you can have. Sure. I, I think and I certainly hope that based on uh, the quality of the product that we're putting out there, um, that we're able to build that. Um, but specifically with sales, um, I did try to go uh, the sales rep, uh, agency rep uh, direction about 10 years ago, and I think it just uh, is one of those situations where the sale is a little bit more complex uh, than typical agency reps would like to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of a commodity sale or um, a smaller, quicker turn sale is a better solution there. So we do have our own direct sales force. Okay. Uh, we, we do uh, all of that out of New York State. We have localized reps, but it's all based out of here. Okay. So you, you've got your own team. That's in, impressive. But it does make sense. I think about, you know, as a young guy, I used to work in, um, you know, manufacturing, distribution, sales, some of that stuff. And you're right. I mean, even even the more engineering-oriented rep firms, they're looking to say, well, I can put a piece of flow uh, process equipment into a line. I'll do the engineering for that because and it's a 20000 or $50,000 sale. But to come into a plant and to try to figure out how to apply automation to materials handling coming in the door all the way through to delivery, that's pretty sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. And um, it's going to be a long sales process, too, I would imagine. Certainly. Uh, you know, depending on what size project we're doing, if we're doing uh, a overhead crane, uh, we, it might be a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might have a couple of month, uh, yeah, sales yeah, cycle. Sure. Uh, but if we're looking at re-outfitting an entire manufacturing facility and all of their material movements on the inside, including, uh, tracking and software to, uh, handle all of those material movements, uh, you're probably looking at, uh, six to 12 month, uh, sales cycle. Okay. Yeah. I could see, I could see it being a year and I'd see that being pretty competitive, you know, because complex, lots of engineering specs, lots of pricing schedules, and I'm just thinking of all the Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we have some guys who are very very good at Excel. I bet you do. Um, and, and it can be very competitive. Uh, yeah, we we like to think that we're carving out a niche for ourselves in a particular spot. Um, you know. The larger players in our industry, uh, very good companies, uh, 
Diplomatic, uh, Intelligrated, uh, Bastion, all, all of those, you know, very large, uh, very good companies um, have a nice niche uh, in large projects. And where we think that particularly our, our full-scale automation solutions uh, work and make sense are for the projects that are $7 million and below, okay. which oftentimes are, are I'm not going to say difficult for those companies to get into, but maybe not as attractive. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to work closely in coming up with a very customized solution for our, our customers uh, that will not just uh, outfit our equipment, uh, but look at best and breed across every uh, provider in the mm-hmm. industry. Um, so it might be a FANUC robot or it might be an ABB robot. It might be uh, universal robots, depending on what the solution is. Sure. Where I think the larger guys um, have a little bit more of an impetus towards pushing towards their own solution sure. and those larger box greenfield opportunities, and, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, but you know, where I think we can have a little bit of impact and some value to our customers is this is entirely based on our conversations with you, with our understanding of your business, with hopefully an engineering study where we got to do a deep dive in and do a lot of data analytics into figuring out exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we think we can really provide something that uh, yeah, is difficult uh, for, for others to get into without providing the same level of um, yeah, interface that we do. My guest today is Patrick Tobin. He's the president of Handtech. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Before we do, I want to encourage you to check out the company. You can go to their website. It is hand-tech.com. That's H-A-N hyphen T-E-K.com. I'll post a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. You can learn a little bit more. Folks, stick around for a brief message, and we'll be right back with Patrick Tobin. Guys, I hope you're enjoying today's show. I've got to tell you, I really love putting this podcast together. There's something really special about meeting these business owners, hearing their stories, and then getting those stories out to you, the community that makes up the currency. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for helping me make this podcast so successful. Now, look, if you are a business owner and you're trying to scale your business, you're trying to grow, maybe introduce new products, maybe capture new markets, or just capture more share in your existing market, I'd love for you to get in touch. I'd love to help you. You know, I'm a brand and marketing strategist. I help the owners of private businesses transform their marketing from an overhead function, something that costs them money, to a revenue generating machine, something that brings money into the business. Every dollar you spend should generate exponential return. And so I love working with folks that own businesses to help them do that transformation. If that's something you think you could use some help with, let's at least have a discussion. Get in touch, like I said. My email address is mike at mikegaston.com. You can also go to my website, mikegaston.com. There's a contact form there. But get in touch and let's get a discussion started. Now, guys, let's get back to today's show. And we're back. My guest today is Patrick Tobin. He's the president of Handtech. Patrick, thanks for joining me today, and thanks for uh, sharing some of the story. I want to follow up on one thing that we kind of were talking about as we closed the first half, and that is uh, you've been so successful. You're selling all over the country. You're doing all these different things. And the question that came to me was, uh, what is it that differentiates you? If there's all these commodity products and you're able to 
find this green field and this niche? You know, is it that you have better uh, equipment than somebody else? Is it that you've got a better sales team? What is it that differentiates you and allows you out of this small town to service North America? Sure. So, you know, I mean, really what we focus on is our, our value driver is our people. And that sounds a little cliche to say, but um, it really is the uh, the engineers, the the sales solution, uh, what we're able to come up with as an overall uh, system for the for the customers, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing that deep dive into their data to find out how uh, we need to handle each one of their material movements. Um, if we're looking at a total system, or um, you know, a lot of people can sell uh, collaborative robots, uh, okay. but we're we're an integrator, so we don't want to just move the steel. We actually want to work with a customer to design a solution for them, integrating that uh, cobot into their system. Um, you know, it, it's uh, not just uh, moving moving products, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, we're we're really. Uh, equipment agnostic as it per, as it pertains to the solution for our customers, um, we're not concerned with uh, what type of equipment it is. It's just the right solution for you. Yeah, if it happens to be that a Fanuc robot is going to give you the right throughput rate and the right accuracy uh, moving your equipment through, uh, great. If uh, it's something else. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, the integration between two different parts of, of uh, equipment that are going to provide for uh, the right solution, that's fine. Uh, if you need to tie in a software solution that's going to integrate with your uh, ERP, um, that's fine. You know, we're we're really going in and trying to almost be consultative as we go through the sure. process. And then we rely on our expertise um, you know, in the industry, uh, in the automation industry, and what we've been doing for 60 years now. Um, mm. you know, allow, our, allow our experience to work for you. Do you know what I like about what you're saying? I'm, I'm uh, just kind of inferring a little bit, or maybe I'll put my spin on it. What I'm hearing is we rely on human ingenuity. So, yeah, you could call and just say, I need a cobot. I'm looking for this brand. What's my price? I know these things you can't just buy it off the shelf like you can, uh, you, you know, like uh, a car. You go, oh, I see this brand. I want this car. I know there's a little bit more that has to happen. But it sounds like what you're doing instead of that is saying we want to solve a problem. So you might think you need cobots, but we want to take a look and understand what the real problem is and how's the best way to solve that problem to get you a result, a solution that that gets you to where you're trying to go. So to me, that what I'm hearing is a, a level of human ingenuity, human creativity, and uh, going a, a little bit deeper than just moving product or closing deals. Absolutely, that's that's the key. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, we typically like to say, you know, an RFP is a starting point. Uh, mm-hmm. We really want to start dig, digging in with a customer, asking questions. Uh, what are their real needs? What are their real throughputs? Uh, what are their real challenges that they're trying to overcome? Um, and then knowing automation equipment the way that we do uh, will work with them and their RFP uh, to develop a solution that matches both and make sure that we don't just uh, narrowly look at uh, the RFP to say, okay, we're going to provide X. Uh, we really want to interface with them to understand it. Um, yeah. Whether it's an automated storage and retrieval system where somebody just says, okay, I've got um, you know, 3,000 pallet positions, 
uh, our throughput rate needs to be X and, uh, you know, you need to handle, you know, so many different sizes. Um, we want to dig into it and say, okay, well, that's, that's good. Um, but what are your peaks and valleys? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you're going towards the average, you're going to be wrong 50% of the time. Uh, and yeah. you know, if, if we're, we're building this thing for you at some point, maybe we can put in an accumulation zone instead of increasing the size of your automated storage and retrieval mm-hmm. system by mm-hmm. X amount to provide, um, a solution that's only going to handle, uh, yeah, a, a peak that happens once a year. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to we want to find out those details to try to understand what they really want to accomplish. Um, you know, or or your cobot. You know, you, you think you want to do three or four different steps with it, but maybe that solution doesn't work for a cobot, and you really need to downgrade it to two steps and interface with a person who's going to have six different responsibilities to do that last thing because maybe it's just a little bit too complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we want the system to work for you once it's implemented. I want to kind of shift gears and just ask a question. You know, we refer to your dad, John, as the chairman. He was the impetus of this company becoming its own own entity, and, and uh, obviously he was running the company. You haven't been the president from day one. How long have you been in the role as president? Uh, about five years. Okay, so five years. So, plus minus. We, yeah. yeah, won't hold you to it. But, yeah. uh, but tell me a little bit about your dad's story. I'm just curious because oftentimes someone that is running an organization more in a corporate environment isn't always entrepreneurial. Doesn't always, you know, one doesn't equal the other. Tell me a little bit about his story. Sure. So, you know, to me, my dad's story is pretty, uh, pretty impressive and uh, something that you know, I think uh, we all hear about as you know we're we're. Growing up, and you know, any, you can you can do anything. You make anything. The American sure. dream, Welcome whatever, to America. whatever the story yeah. is, right? Um, yeah, my father uh, graduated from high school, uh, started working. Met my mother in high school. Uh, started dating at that point, but uh, started working uh, in education. Uh, his father was a was a principal. His mother was a teacher. Uh, my Mother's mother was in the education system, so you know he thought that that's what he was supposed to do. He uh, went to work in Barnstable, Massachusetts, okay, uh, working as a math teacher, uh, not making a, a huge paycheck, and uh, probably happy with what he was doing, but you know, just making it along. As one of his uh, coworkers, another teacher was griping about how much it cost to build a house. He said that he thought he could do it cheaper. So he ended up building a house for one of his uh, fellow teachers and then ended up uh, getting into construction. <laughs> so he started building houses down in Cape Cod, uh, of which you know he still uh, gets mad when we go back down. He looks at all the property he used to own in Cape Cod and the three, three uh, ponds area, three bays area. And... Uh, you know, so, oh, jeez, I should have kept that. It's worth this now. It's worth this now. Hindsight's always yeah. 100%. If you got a crystal ball, I'll get mad at you. But if you didn't, then, yeah, you do what yeah. you had to do. And unfortunately, at that time, it was during the Carter administration and interest rates were... Sky high. Oh, yeah, 19 yeah. 20%. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the market for houses wasn't what it is, what it is today. Um, so he was also working on the docks uh, down in Cape Cod, uh, where he ran into someone who would end up being his boss, who said that if he could get through school, that he'd give him a job. So 
with a kid in tow uh, and two jobs he was working. He put himself through school at Northeastern and, wow. uh, you know, then ended up going to Browning and Ferris Industries, uh, where he, which is the predecessor to waste management, or oh, sure. ended up getting okay. bought out by waste management. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and they moved him to Rochester, New York. Uh, he'd actually, he started at the bottom at BFI and worked his way up to managing uh, Boston. And then they moved him up to Rochester, where he handled uh, fixing and rehabilitating uh, the Rochester division, including a fair amount of M&A, uh, at which point they decided to move him down to Philadelphia, where he got the opportunity to do that all again. Um, and then when his options were moving to either Argentina or Saudi Arabia, he decided <laughs> that he would start looking back in Rochester again. Wow. Uh, and he ended up finding Dave Ray uh, to become president of Hantech, um, and then moved in to, to buy the company from Dave in 1996 and um, had really made uh, the, the changes in the organization to grow to what it is. So I uh, took some of the skills that he, he learned from Browning and Ferris and building those organizations uh, to hand tech and uh, managed this group and uh, what it was. Your dad sounds like a really impressive guy. Yes. Yeah, very much. Uh, at, least, at least for me. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I love it, you know the theme of just uh, putting himself out there and doing things. Like I could do that, and I could try that. And it doesn't sound like he was looking for anybody to promote him. He just was the type of guy that liked to dig in and fix things, build things, make them better, and that just opened doors for him. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, <clears throat> you know, he uh, said to me once, his making decisions professionally for him was always easy because he just needed to do his best for his family. Yeah. And uh, whatever it was, he was going to jump into it and figure out a way to get it done. Wow. So you've been running the operations now for about five years plus minus as the company's president. Sounds like you've been working in the business before that, though, because you talked about doing some software development back in the day and Sure. Yeah. I started on the floor uh, probably when I was a freshman in high school. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I should say that since I'm not sure I was old enough to be working on the floor at that time. But, uh, I think the statute yeah. of limitations, there, you should be okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I was a freshman in high school, I started on the floor and then got a little bit older and got to do some work out in the field. Um, and then you know, went to college and came back, got into our service department, uh, took over our service department. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've had a role in the company for, for quite a number of years. That's now. fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about the, the company under your leadership the last few years. What's, what's been your kind of biggest challenge since taking over the business these last five years? I mean, I know you went through a big move, so that just as a, as a project had to be a, a bit of a headache and exciting at the same time. But what's been the biggest challenge for the company, in your opinion? I think the biggest thing is just trying to get the culture right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, our, our people, as I've said before, really are going to drive our success. Uh, we work hard to try and make sure we find uh, the right people, uh, not just from a skill set perspective, but from a personality is and hard culture to do? perspective. It, it is. It is. Um, yeah, initially we made a we made a good jump. We added about thirty heads uh, last year, mm, wow. um, and it was largely based around people that uh, people at the company knew. Uh, so we were able to draw from an internal pool uh, people that we knew were qualified, that we knew matched uh, the personality of our team, mm -hmm. uh, that we knew had the abilities to uh, drive us to the next level. 
but now we're outside of that realm a little bit. Uh, Rochester is a limited community when it comes to the automation world, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're driving outside of it a bit. Uh, so we're working hard to make sure we're taking care of recruiting uh, in a way that uh, matches our, our style and our, our organization. Is it hard to get people to consider to come to Rochester? I, you know, I don't know where you're having to pull from. You know, somebody's in Buffalo. They go, okay, it's, you know, I, I can go see mom and have pasta on the weekends. No big deal. But if someone's in Philly, Boston, Gainesville, Florida, anywhere, what, you know, what do you do? So I can't speak to it from a standpoint of how difficult it is in other areas, uh, right? I mean, I'm, I'm only here. Uh, we're only compare. trying to recruit sure. here. Uh, but I would say, yeah, it's it's challenging. Um, yeah, trying to find people uh, who want to come up uh, this way, or want to leave where they are, or want to uh, yeah transplant their family, or or do whatever uh, to change their environment. Um, and in particular, uh, yeah, engineers of whom I have many and have a huge level of respect for don't tend to like a ton of change sure uh, yeah so it's it's not something that i think they're most of them i don't want to generalize too much but most of them aren't necessarily looking to um uh, you know, uproot too often uh so it, it is challenging um you know we try and sell what you know rochester has to offer which uh, i'm sure many of your listeners or at least local here saw that the rbj posted uh, we were one of nine uh, cities in the country uh, that were recommended for a visit in, in 2019. Yeah. Uh, I forget the group that actually did that report. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I heard that. I saw the headlines, but I don't know either. Yeah. yeah. All I'm knowing is I'm having a snow blow in my driveway. But I, <laughs> you know, I'm not down on Rochester, but. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not the sales point, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I went off script. <laughs> but but to be fair, I mean, you know, I do look at that. That's oh, a my, fantastic town. Yeah, yeah. But my the, brother's in Houston, and you know, sure. we have to uh, you know snow blow our driveways in winter and uh, you know bundle up. But in the summertime, he can barely go outside. Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, a captive for about four months. Can't leave the house. Yeah, we don't have any big natural disasters. We don't have hurricanes or tornadoes or yep. you know earthquakes or landslides. Uh, it's, we've uh, raised our family here. It's a yeah. fantastic community. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's you know lots of positives and sure. you know, some some great water for everybody to go out and enjoy too between the Finger Lakes yeah. or Sodas or Ontario or uh, you know any of the rest of it. But uh, there is the snow. But it's so, yeah, it's a little challenging. What um, so so if I hear people as as the biggest challenge, not meaning your people, but just getting the culture right. Uh, Thirty people, you know, for an eighty person company, that's a huge growth spurt. And now you're still looking and having to recruit outside of the the um, area. If your key, you know, differentiator is your people and their ability to solve problems, and your biggest challenge is finding good people, do, do you see that becoming a challenge down the road if you want to grow the business? Sure. Um, you know, we we actually intentionally scheduled a flat year for this year. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we are integrating uh, our kind people. Kind of stabilize in. a little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you want to make sure that everybody who's new comes in and has an opportunity to become a part of the team and that they understand their role and their interactions with everybody else. Yeah, uh, that's fair. So, you know, I think uh, through organic growth, it'll be difficult to continue the rate that we've moved okay. at. Okay. Uh, we're not going to stop trying, uh, but, yeah, that's, that's There are other ways to right grow. Now. I mean, you there can look are. for other companies to acquire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, okay. 
That's good. Well, let me ask you this question. If that's been your biggest challenge, what are you most proud of these last five years? Uh, you know, either your own accomplishment or just the business that as you've been uh, responsible for leading the company? Yeah, so I think the thing that I'm most proud of over the last few years and our ability to grow has just been uh, the team's ability to um, you know, accommodate uh, different circumstances, different things. Uh, we've rolled some some new uh, competencies into what we're able to do. We've rolled in a number of people into what we're, mm-hmm. we're able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to adjust to all of those changes, um, in particular, you know, this year compared to a few others, uh, in an environment where uh, you know, I don't believe that the CapEx spend has been out there as much as the others and to be able to turn around and have another successful year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I'm most proud of just what this team has achieved, really. Uh, so the theme, the constant theme, I think, for the discussion today is the people. Yeah. Yeah, both yeah, the, for the, sure. the challenge is finding the right people, having the right culture. Uh, the values of your father as he kind of took this company going forward and then also most proud of the way that your people have integrated the team handled challenges and and seemingly uh, is running in a, in a in a cohesive team-like manner as you go forward well that's true in any business right um, I don't think the automation business is unique in that uh, in that particular uh, segment uh, yeah, if you bring in people that you believe in, people that you think are intelligent, people that you think are capable, and you give them an opportunity to succeed and an environment to succeed, mm-hmm. uh, and you kind of get out of the way and say, "Okay, go do it," sure. Um, you know, then it's just our responsibility to try and make sure that we're connecting the X and O's correctly. And yeah, uh, yeah if I can do a good job of putting the right people in the right position, um, yeah, I think we have great opportunity to succeed. So I'm going to put you on the spot. This will be a closing question. I'm going to put you on the spot, Patrick. Um, you know, five years at the helm, growing up in the business, uh, sounds like, you know, you got to learn a lot from your father just as a father-son relationship. If you look back at this business and your tenure running the company, how are you going to gauge success? You know, what, what's your vision? What is it that you want to accomplish to be able to look back and go, I did a good job? Uh, so, I mean, I think as long as we have an environment where people are uh, enjoying what they're doing, we're profitable, certainly, um, and you know, we've got an opportunity to help our customers, I'll be happy. You know, is there an opportunity for hand tech to increase in size? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that we could easily in 10 years uh, be three or four times the size that we are right now. Uh, but. It's and less. do you want to try to accomplish that? Is that something? You know, if it fits into our, our growth pattern and we're still doing great work for our customers, then yes, cool. I do. Okay. Um, yeah, if we move outside of our, our capabilities and, you know, we're not providing the same solution and, and the same quality of uh, product to our customers, then, you know, there's no problem staying with where we are. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's uh, a lot of people here who um, are doing great things and who I think hopefully have uh, yeah, good opportunity to provide a good, uh, good life for their families. Sure. Uh, and, you know, if we can succeed at that and provide a good profitable company, uh, then, yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay with where we are. Ideally, uh, we're going to keep on pushing forward 
and you know, see what we can accomplish as an organization from a growth perspective. So what I'm hearing, I said last question, but what I'm hearing is, uh, sure, we want to grow, but it sounds to me like you're more interested in the kind of company that you're building versus the uh, a measurable aspect like the size of the business. Sure. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, that's what it's about, right? Uh, yeah, big or small, uh, it's only a number. And as long as things are uh, working and people are happy and we're, we're providing good quality solutions, uh, yeah, I think, I think we'll all be happy with that. Uh, but if we can grow and we can continue to uh, you know, drive that out, reach more people, do more things, uh, service more customers, uh, yeah, that's that's in our purview as well. My guest today has been Patrick Tobin. He is the president of Handtech. Patrick, thanks so much for joining me today on The Currency. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a fantastic discussion. Guys, make sure you check out Patrick's company. You can go to handtech.com. It's H-A-N hyphen T-E-K.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can also check the company out and Patrick on LinkedIn. They're pretty active there. If you do that, make sure you say hello and tell them you heard about Handtech on the currency. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Guys, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. I talk to folks like Patrick weekly. You get to hear the stories of American business people, hear their trials, their challenges, and their victories. Uh, just go to Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can find the currency anywhere fine podcasts are provided. Hit that subscribe button. Show me some love. And I'll be grateful. Guys, I love you all, and I'll catch you in the next episode.